Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. Good evening. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab said Bible on your phone. Hard copy, Psalm chapter 119 is where we're going to be tonight. Psalm chapter 119. We'll start in the first verse. Um, If you're just joining us and we're not here last week, I want to introduce a little bit of the teaching series we're in right now. We're in a teaching series, as you'll see on the screen, uh, that's called Calvary's Core. And what we're really doing is we're looking at six core values, six sentences that we believe if you internalize and learn and start to live by the truths of these sentences, uh, that you will become someone who lives and loves like Jesus. And if we as a church live by these six sentences, then we will become a church that lives and loves like Jesus. Now, now tonight, the value we're going to look at is this little sentence we have crafted, and you'll see it right here on the wall, that every time we preach, we want to remind ourselves this, uh, that God's people delight in God's word. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about that phrase and why we've built it that way, why we've communicated it that way, and why we've chosen the words, why we believe God has called us to choose those words uh, to lead our church through. Because here's what happened for me. Um, This isn't true for all of you, but I grew up in church. And I grew up in church, and for me growing up in church, I would have never heard something that said God's people delight in God's word. I would have heard these phrases, that God's people study God's word. And I want you to know that's true. Like if you are God's people, if you are part of the people of God, saved by Jesus, you study the word of God. I would have heard God's people obey God's word. And that's also true. We'll see that tonight, that if you are God's people, you are called to listen and obey. God's people hear God's word. Like I would have been convinced as a kid that I'm supposed to listen to and hear the word of God as he speaks through scriptures. And then finally, God's people believe God's word. Like in other words, the point isn't just that we study and hear and listen and think about it, but rather we believe. And yet the word that we've chosen to use and the word that we are trying to shepherd our church into is that word right in the middle of there, that word that God's people delight in God's word. And I want to show you why tonight the elders of our church again uh, wrote out as they were thinking through our 2030 vision, guiding our church forward. I want to hear this paragraph. I want you to see this from the elders of Calvary Community Church. They said this, we see a church filled with disciples who both know and love the word of God. In a culture that has given up on the Bible, we will choose to be a different kind of people who study and cherish his word. We recognize that Bible knowledge without affection can quickly become cold and legalistic. We also know that Bible affection without knowledge quickly becomes sentimentality. Therefore, our aim is to be a people who have both a deep knowledge and a profound affection for God's word. Echoing the words of the psalmist as he writes, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This is where the leadership the elders that we walk in submission to, that our church operates under the leadership and authority of, have said about what we wanna be as a church when it comes to the word of God. And I wanna pull out two phrases from there. And the first one is this, the Bible knowledge without affection becomes legalism. So here's what can happen to a lot of churches. What can happen to a lot of churches, even our own church and even each of our lives, is we become kind of the Bible people who know all the Bible stories and we know all the Bible facts and we know all the Bible things, but there's no actual love for God in the midst of our Bible knowledge. And you see that throughout the ministry of Jesus. There are all kinds of men who have Bible knowledge, but no actual love for the Lord. On the outside, they look like they have all the things of God. On the inside, they got nothing. And so that's not what we're after. We're not after simply a church that knows all the references in the Bible, yet has no affection for God and his word. And yet at the same time, the other thing is true. The Bible affection without knowledge becomes sentimentality. 
that when you have affection for the Bible and you like and believe the Bible, but you don't actually know anything about the Bible, you turn into the person who just kind of opens up the Bible and randomly pulls out verses like their fortune cookies at Panda Express. Like what you do is you pull out a verse, like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you're like, God gave me this because I've got a soccer game tomorrow, right? And you're like, well, kind of, but not, uh, let's think about that in the context, right? We want to have a knowledge of the word where we're not just looking at verses we like and putting them on coffee mugs. And so what do we want to do as a church? We want to pull together this knowledge and affection. We want to have both a deep understanding and a deep emotion around the word of God, which is why we use the phrase that God's people delight in God's word. And I want to show you that in Psalm chapter 119 tonight. If you have your Bibles, it'll be in verse one here. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen. It says this, it says, blessed are those who walk, or pardon me, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes. They seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow in his ways. So up here on the screen, you'll see I underlined it. You'll see in your Bible, the word blessed is there twice. This word blessed is a word that's woven all throughout the book of Psalms. In fact, all throughout the scriptures. In the book of Psalms, in the Hebrew language, this was written in 3,000 years ago. You'll see this. I'll break down the word blessed for you. Blessed is the word esher or asher. If you know anyone named asher, their, word, their name literally means blessed. And the definition of that Hebrew word is that you would have happiness, that you would have blessedness. And so when I begin Psalm chapter 119, which if you read all the way through, I encourage you to do at some point this week, it is a Psalm that is all about an affection and a love for God's word. What you will quickly find is this, that God promises profound happiness for those who know and love his word. Don't miss this. This is a promise that the blessing of God, a profound kind of happiness will be on your life for those who know and love the word of God. Now, here's what I've learned. If you grew up in church, you might have a problem with what I just said. Because a lot of church folk grow up sort of believing that happiness is sort of this squishy word that we shouldn't be talking about in church. What Christians should be talking about is joy. So it's like the world gets happiness and Christians get joy. In fact, for some of you, you've so kind of been turned against this word happiness that you don't actually think that belongs in the, in the phrases of God's promises. Uh, I think for a lot of folks, I'll put this image on screen. This is kind of how you've come to think about joy and happiness. That joy is sort of this solid thing that you have when you're in Jesus. And happiness is the sort of squishy cloud thing that kind of comes and goes from your life. And this is how a lot of popular Christianity has talked about joy and happiness over the last few decades. And I'm not here to bash on any teacher you love, and I'm not here to just knock someone who's taught you something. I am here to tell you, though, that the Bible does not make this kind of distinction between these two words. In fact, the Bible is going to use a lot of words when it comes to our positive emotion toward God and what he wants for our life. Let me show you this next image here. This is a more accurate representation. Next image, please. This, that the Bible talks about being joyful and happy and cheerful. It talks about being delighted and merry and glad. It talks about pleasures forevermore with the Lord. And all of these sort of overlap like these endless Venn diagrams. And so what you find in the scripture is not the idea that the world gets happiness, but Christians get joy. What you'll find is that all of this blends together. I love how John Piper says it. He says, if you have nice little categories, joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you go to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its use of language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. 
Randy Alcorn says it this way. He has a massive book on happiness titled Happiness. He says, scripture itself refutes the artificial distinction between happiness and joy. So I wanna go back to that promise that God promises profound happiness for those who know and love his word. This is why we don't just say that God's people study or know or believe or obey God's word, but that God's people delight in God's word. That when we become a people who live in love like Jesus, we're a people who have a deep, profound delight and happiness and satisfaction and enjoyment of God's word. That's what we're after. What we're after as a church is the type of people that when we open the Bible, we're not just looking at it as if it's the encyclopedia of the Christian faith or the rule book we're supposed to follow or the thing that tells us things about God. We wanna be a people who turn to God's word and found a profound happiness, a deep delight in God's word. It goes on this way in verse four. It says, you, the psalmist says, have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that I were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws and I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. So what we're talking about tonight is the type of life we wanna have when it comes to the word of God. We wanna have this deep delight, this profound happiness, this joy that comes from God's word. But what you're gonna see very quickly in Psalm chapter 119 is that your joy, your delight, your happiness in God's word does not merely come from you reading it. It doesn't merely come from you believing it. It doesn't merely come from you studying it and understanding it. The joy, the delight, the happiness that is promised comes from you obeying it. Look at the words that are underlined all over the screen. I consider your commands. I learn your righteous ways. I obey your decrees. Like in other words, if you want the profound happiness that is promised to you from delighting in God's word, from knowing and obeying and trusting God's word, it's gonna cost you something. And it's going to cost you your obedience. Your obedience is what ultimately leads to joy. And here's what you know, this is true in every other area of your life. Because here's what I want to observe, two things. Number one, trivial joys cost you very little. Trivial joys require very little. Like if you see a movie, it requires like 15, 20 bucks. Movies have gotten outrageous, right? But if it requires like a few bucks, you see a sunset, it just requires what? That you stand there and don't fall asleep, right? That's all it requires. You eat a nice meal and all it requires is to do the one thing I think about doing all day and that's eating, right? It requires very little, but those joys are trivial, And I don't mean they don't matter. I just mean your life isn't really changed because you're like, I had the best burger. It changed my whole life. Like that doesn't really work that way. See, trivial joys require very little of you, but I'll contrast that by saying meaningful joys require significant sacrifice. Like like if any of you are musicians, and I don't mean like you're a Christian male who picked up the guitar and learned a few chords, right? I don't mean that, because that was me. I mean like you're like a real musician who really knows your instrument. Here's what I know. That required sacrifice. It required practice. It required effort. It required a huge amount of effort on your end. And yet the reward you reap is beautiful. Like any one of us here could walk up to this piano and just like start hitting keys, but a person who has trained their fingers to play music gets to enjoy the joy. They get to enjoy that. Like in other words, this massive sacrifice allows for meaningful kinds of joy. It's the same for any of you who have built a meaningful career. Like anyone can have a job, pretty much anyone, right? Pretty much anyone can have a job, but if you have built a meaningful career, it's because you worked, you sacrificed for it. The same goes for friendship. Listen, the same goes for parenting. I I want you to know two things. Uh, I have three kids. Um, Parenting is the best thing I've ever done and it is the hardest thing I've ever done. 
It is the hardest thing and yet it has become the best thing. Why? Because meaningful joys require significant sacrifice. And this is what the psalmist is trying to tell us. Do you wanna have this delight, this blessing, this happiness, the satisfaction in God through his word? It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It happens through your obedience. Jesus says the same thing in John 15, read these words. He says, if you keep my commands, like if you obey what I told you to do, you will remain in my love just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy is complete how? If you keep the commands of God. Do you want the delight of God, the joy of God, the profound happiness that God offers us? You listen to the word. You walk in obedience to the word. You study the word. You delight in the word. Verse nine goes on this way. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. So, so here's what's interesting about the text I just read. There's three things here. Um, there's a question. And the question is really simple. How does a young man, and I would expand that to even say, how does a young woman stay on the path of purity? How does a young person stay on the path of purity? And here's what's really interesting. That question was relevant 3,000 years ago. I think sometimes we as Christians go, well, with social media and with television, with the internet, with the world and how crazy it is today, it is so hard to stay pure. And 3,000 years ago, they're like, with the world the way it is today, it's so hard to stay pure. Like it's easy for Christians to fall into this victim complex where we're like, it is just so hard to be alive today. And 3,000 years ago, the people of God were like, it's pretty tough to stay pure. And then I want to observe another thing. There's an assumption here. And the assumption is that you want purity, that you actually desire it, that you crave after it. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? You can see the psalmist almost crying out, going, how can I do this? The world is so filled with temptation. It's so filled with distraction. It's so filled with things that will take me away. And the psalmist here desires and is craving purity. And that word purity is kind of this word that's kind of gone out of favor in our generation. And I understand why. Like purity culture in some ways has gotten knocked because it twisted the Bible's sexual ethic to use shame as a tool to motivate you. And here's what I want you to know. Shame is never a long-term motivator. I can get you to do a lot of things with shame right now, but it'll never last. And so anyone who uses shame as a sexual motivator for you to avoid sexual sin is ultimately playing a short-term game. But purity culture did that. If someone's too extreme, we call them Puritans. Purity is just kind of this thing that's out of favor. But I want you to know that just because things have been done poorly doesn't mean this isn't a valuable and precious word for you. Can I kind of convince you in two ways why purity is beautiful for us? Number one, purity is a command meant to protect us from pain. Purity is meant to protect you from pain. So, so let's talk about sexual sin for a second if we can. Like when purity is talked about, that's almost always the place we go. The point of the Bible call, calling you to purity when it comes to sex is not to like make your life less fun. It's not to make your life boring. It's not to make your life horrible. It is to protect you from the pain that comes from sexual sin. And believe me when I tell you, sexual sin, the end of that road is always certain levels of pain. And that pain is something purity is trying to avoid you from. It's the pain of getting into a sexual relationship with someone you're not married to and things get messy and it gets complicated and it gets difficult. And some of you have walked that journey where you've gotten so physically intertwined with someone and emotionally it collapses and you don't know what to do next. It's meant to protect you from the pain of pornography where you get hooked and addicted to something that is tearing you apart and ripping you apart from the inside, pulling you away from God and pulling you away from others and enslaving you. 
In other words, purity is not some dirty, filthy word. Purity is meant to protect you from pain. And here's the second thing, that purity is a commandment to help us perceive God's presence. The call to purity is the call to see God clearly, to experience God fully, and to know God in all that he has for us. This is why Jesus says these words. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And here's the question. Do you wanna see God? Do you wanna walk in purity? Do you wanna know what it means to be protected from the pain of this life and instead live in the presence of God where you see him and he sees you and you walk in that fullness of God's presence? The answer to that question is given so clearly here. You know you will do that when you walk in his word. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Verse 11 says this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I've hidden my word in your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, all growing up, and maybe you heard this, that this is a verse about memorizing scripture. And I believe that's true. I believe that this is referring to memorizing scripture. Hiding the word in your heart means the word goes off of the page and into your heart and into your mind. But here's what else you need to know. You can memorize all kinds of Bible verses and not actually be someone who makes it part of you. Notice it doesn't say I've memorized your word that I might sin against you. It's that I've hidden it where? In my heart. The idea is that the word becomes part of you. The idea is that you absorb the word in such a way that it actually mysteriously in some kind of Holy Spirit empowered way becomes part of you. Like I think sometimes this kind of becomes like if I memorize Bible verses, I'll know what to do in a moment. So if I'm mad at someone, I'll go, you know what? I wanna kill them, but the word says don't murder, right? That's really not how it works with the Holy Spirit. It's much deeper. It's much more mysterious. And my challenge to some of you who are more wired like me, who just kind of want to like have a reason and a logical flow of how I memorize the Bible verse and then I know what to do with the Bible verse and then I do the Bible verse. I want you to know there's something more mystical going on. There's something more powerful going on. When you bury the word in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, it actually changes you. It actually changes your very heart. It's like this. Um, years ago, I would take students to Uganda on high school mission trips. And in Uganda, there were a number of things we were concerned about. And one of the main things that, that, that kind of had a lot of parents concerned was the fact that many people, when they go to Uganda, take malaria pills. And so this was a big thing for a lot of students. They would come into the week and they would want to take these malaria pills. And if you've never taken some of these uh, prophylactic uh, uh, malaria pills, um, you start by taking it like a week or two out. And you start taking the pills. And then when you're on the trip, you take the pills. And when you come back from the trip, you take the pills. And here's what I realized from everyone who took these little low-dose pills that you take every single day, um, they would take the pills and nothing would happen. They would take the pills and nothing would feel different inside of them. They would take the pills, the pills would dissolve in their stomach, go through their entire system, and nothing would be different about them at all. And so in some way, you could look at someone who took the pill and look at someone who didn't take the pill and be like, there's no difference. They're not like glowing green. There's no force field around them. There's nothing that seems to have happened to them that's different. And yet here's what we would say about the person who takes the malaria pill to protect themselves against malaria, that it becomes part of you and gives you a protection you don't naturally have. That's what malaria pills do. And here's what I need you to know. That's what the word of God does when you hide it in your heart. When you make the word of God, the Bible, just part of your life and part of your heart, you're constantly reading about it, talking about it, thinking about it, memorizing it, sharing it, texting it to others, opening your Bible, thinking about it. It becomes part of who you are. This has been a huge part of my life story. So coming up on January 1st of this next year, January of 2024, I will mark 20 years of writing, reading the Bible every day. 
On January 1st of 2004, I was a sophomore in high school and made a decision. I'm gonna start reading my Bible every day. I need you to know I made that commitment about 15 times before that. You ask the question, why did it stick that time? And here's my answer. I have no idea. I have no idea, but for some reason, sophomore in high school, I take the Bible seriously and it has launched me for the last 20 years. And listen, it doesn't mean I've never sinned. It doesn't mean I've never fallen short. It doesn't mean I've never lacked the power to obey God. But I do know that my life would look markedly different if I did not have this protection I don't naturally have. And here's what you need to know. The flesh has no protection against the wiles of the enemy, against the predation of sin. The flesh has no protection against the discouragement Satan wants to throw at you, the deception he's gonna throw at you, the temptation that's coming your way, the accusation that is gonna be heaped upon you. The flesh has no ability to do that. The Holy Spirit of God through his word does. The Holy Spirit, listen, is strengthening you every single time you open your Bible. What an encouragement. What if you thought of it that way? That every time you open your Bible, whether you got something out of it or not, the Holy Spirit is just like filling you with a strength and a power and a protection that you didn't otherwise have. It goes on this way in verse 12. It says, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Now in this text up here, if you're taking notes or writing or in your Bible, there's the words here in verse 12. It says, teach me your decrees. Down in 15, he talks about meditating on these precepts. And then he talks about considering these ways. So this whole night we've been talking about how do we have this profound happiness, this delight, this blessedness, this joy from the scriptures. And I think sometimes what we think is my my goal should be just like to enjoy as much as possible. But that's not what the psalmist says here. There's this really interesting dynamic where if what you're really seeking is feeling an emotion out of the Bible, you often don't find it. But what you'll see here is he says, teach me your ways. I'm gonna meditate. I'm gonna consider your ways. Like in other words, what I need to remind you tonight is that Bible enjoyment requires Bible study. It requires you to know the word. It requires you to study it. It requires you to understand the context. It requires you to understand the history. It requires you to have some knowledge about the Bible because enjoying something always takes study and understanding. This is not just true of the Bible. This is true of anything that is meaningful and matters in your life. I talked about instruments earlier and some of you learned an instrument. Now like you can just again, go and bang on the keys. You can pick up a guitar and just strum a little. But if you don't understand how music works, you'll never enjoy it like some of our musicians do, like our worship band does. I'll give you a different example for those of you who music was never your strong suit. Um, For me, uh, the gym uh, is my example. So so for me, um, if you have never been to a gym before and you walk in, it's probably not going to be an enjoyable experience. You're probably going to feel overwhelmed. You're definitely going to feel insecure. You're probably gonna hurt yourself if you're not careful. And you're 100% gonna feel sore the next day after the next day. Like that's how it goes in the gym. But here's what I've learned. Like if you become someone who starts to understand this is how the body works. This is how muscles grow. This is how the lungs become more cardiovascularly fit. You start to get in shape. You start to understand how this works. You'll actually start to enjoy exercise. This happens in every area of your life. When you study something and when you understand something, you come to enjoy it more. The same is true with the word of God. The same is true with God's word. That's why the psalmist will go down here. I'll show you this Psalm 119 verse 97. He says, oh, how I love your law, which is his way of talking about the Bible. 
I meditated on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insights than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. And do you see the two things underlined up there? He says, I love your law. Like I love it. I just love reading your word. I love everything about it. Why? Because he has more insights than all his teachers. Like in other words, the reason he loves the word of God, the reason he delights in the word of God is because he understands it. My challenge to all of us is to be a people who deeply know and understand the word of God. And that's gonna happen in a lot of different ways. But one of the primary ways I believe that's gonna happen is through you taking seriously the habit, the practice, the spiritual practice of a daily quiet time, of a daily quiet time. Now, growing up, we talked about quiet times all the time. You would carve out 10, 15 minutes, maybe even five minutes on a busy day. You would open the Bible. You would spend some time in prayer. This was kind of the thing you did. And for some reason, people don't like that phrase anymore. I have no idea why, but tonight I want to encourage you toward that, toward these quiet time basics, toward this time you set aside each and every day to be in the word of God. And the quiet time basics, I'll teach you a thing that many of you know, but maybe this is unfamiliar to you. I want to talk about the acronym SOAP. So here's how SOAP goes. SOAP starts with this. It starts with scripture. Like in other words, your quiet time should begin with time in the word. You open up the Bible you have a Bible reading plan. You read a part of the scripture. It can be a paragraph. It can be a chapter. It doesn't need to be much. It starts with scripture and then the O is observation. Observation means that we're looking at what the word says. We're not looking at what it means for me yet. You're simply going, okay, what is he trying to say? What was the original author trying to say to the original audience? That's how Bible interpretation works. You don't immediately jump to what does this mean for me? You say, what did the original author mean to the original audience? You're observing. You're observing words that are repeated. You're observing the structure of the sentence. You're observing the argument that's made. That's O. A is application. Application starts to ask, okay, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me today and tomorrow and someday in my life? What does it mean for me in the way I'm called to follow Jesus? And then you close with P, which is prayer. And prayer is simply an opportunity to say, God, thank you for your word. Help me live that out today. That can be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. In different seasons of life, it's been longer or shorter for me. When I had no children and I had Fridays off here at the church, oh man, it would be like a two and a half hour time with the word and a big pot of coffee in my Bible. Now that I have three little babies, sometimes it is an eight minute start to the day, okay? It just changes with time. But your goal is to become a person who knows and loves the word of God. And then here's the best part about quiet times. Um, I need to tell you, so I heard a pastor once say, this pastor got up and he said, I read the word every day. And he goes, every single day of my life when I read the word, God speaks to me. I don't have lousy quiet times because God is always clear to me and I always hear him clearly and I've never had a lousy quiet time. And I just actually laughed out loud listening to that sermon because I've had many, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of lousy quiet times. And if you've ever had a lousy quiet time and you feel bad about that, if you've ever sat down with the Bible and you've read it and you're like, I guess I believe that, thanks God, uh, and then rolled on with your day and you feel like, ah man, how did that work? Did that really do anything in my life? If you have ever had a lousy quiet time, let me read for you the most encouraging verse I could ever read for you when it comes to lousy quiet times. Isaiah 55, 11, here's what Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth says. He says, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You know what the best thing about lousy quiet times is? That God is working even when you don't notice. 
that God is at work in your life even when it feels lousy, even when you feel distracted, even when you looked at your phone a few too many times during the quiet time, even when you got hungry, even when you took a bathroom break, even though you didn't need a bathroom break, even when you did all of that, the best part about this verse is this, that your time in the word has never been a waste. It's never been a waste. And so what do we want to encourage you to do here at Calvary? We want to encourage you to be a people who study and know and think deeply about God's word. Tonight, we drop this on your uh, chair on the way in. And many of you got it. If you didn't get one, we have a bunch more in the back or just come see us, we'll get you one. And what we have here is just four ways to elevate your love for God's word. You can see these QR codes. There's a Bible resource page we have here where you can learn things about the Bible. You can join a class uh, or a group, a Bible study class, a Bible group here at Calvary if you're wanting to learn in a community. There's a five-minute daily devotional we send out Monday through Fridays here, uh, and that's called the Take Five. The idea is it's a little scripture, a little devotional, and a prayer for you. If you're wanting to get into that habit, it can be emailed to you, and you can receive that every day. And then the fourth thing here is this. There's a 90-day Bible reading plan on the other side of this card, so you'll see this right here. Um, I want you to know that there are around 100 days left in 2023. And some of you have an awesome Bible reading plan and you know exactly where you're going and you know exactly what you're reading in the word. But some of you are kind of lost or it just hasn't gone very well this year. Here's a challenge and a very specific next step for you. I think some of you need to take this home tonight and you need to do these 90 days before now and the end of 2023. You get like 10 days where you can mess up, 10 days where you can totally flop and not read. And you get through, this will take you all the way through all four gospels in 90 days. I wanna encourage you to take this with you if you don't have a Bible reading plan. Why? Because God's people delight in God's word, but Bible enjoyment requires Bible study. I encourage you to use that card as a resource tonight. It goes on in verse 16. It says, I delight in your decrees. Now, all throughout this chapter, you're going to see that word delight. The reason we picked that word delight, that God's people delight in God's word, is because we see this word right here in the scriptures. You see, one of the things I want to remind you um, is that the Bible does not just command you to think things. It does not just say to believe things. The Bible does not just say to do things. This sounds strange to some of your ears, but the Bible commands you to feel things. And some, some people think that's unfair, because how can I control my emotions? How am I supposed to control how I feel? And yet over and over and over again, the invitation and command of the scriptures is not that just we would know God, but that we would feel things toward God. I want you to see this pattern all throughout the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 24. These will all be on the screens. So you don't have to flip there. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 36 says, direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Verse 47 of the same chapter says, I delight in your commands because I love them. Verse 70 says, I delight in your law. Verse 77 says, let your compassion come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Verse 92 says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 143 says, trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Verse 174 says, I long for salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. All the way back to Psalm chapter one, the very beginning of the Psalms, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16 says, when your words came, I ate them for they were my heart's delight <coughs> for I bear your name, Lord God almighty. And Romans chapter seven, verse 22 says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout the scriptures, there's this deep, deep burden that we wouldn't just believe the word, know the word, obey the word, think about the word, study the word, but that we would delight in the word of God. Brian, can I ask you to grab me a water? Is that possible? Um, <clears throat> but here's what I want to ask. I want to ask a question because we talk about how much we're called to delight in God's word and to love God's word, to have an affection for God's word, to have an emotion toward God's word. And I want to ask a question that might be top of mind for some of you tonight. And here's the question. What if I don't delight in God's word? What if I don't? Like, what if I want to delight in God's word? What if I believe God's word? What if I actually find God's word to be true and I call myself a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe God has revealed this to us and yet I don't delight in God's word. And tonight I wanna to give you some answers to that question, but I wanna warn you ahead of time that whenever there's something off spiritually about us, um, answers to those questions can actually be very tenuous and very hard to answer. Like, let me give you two images to think about. Um, when something is off spiritually in my life, here's the way I want it to work. I'll show you this image. I want it to work like a car. I want it to be mechanical. I want it to be that if something's off, just like a car, you bring it into the shop, you fix this, you put this on this, you screw this in, this out, you do this, and here's the way it works. And every Honda Civic is built the same way and it always goes the same kind of way. That's the way I want my spiritual life to work. But for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, that is not how he has designed our spiritual lives to flourish. If you are struggling to delight in God's word, if God's word seems stale and dry and boring to you, I wish I could give you the four steps you take and then everything will be better. I do not have that for you tonight. Because spiritual growth in the Bible is never described mechanically. It is always described in another way. It is described as if we are gardening. This is the image of spiritual growth in the Bible. Our hands are messy, they are in the dirt. Some plants grow really tall, some grow kind of short, some go off to the side, some kind of wither. It's all dirt, it's messy, it's a little bit of water, it's a little bit of sunshine, and it feels very out of our control. If you are feeling stale in your time in the word, if you are feeling like I need to delight in God's word, I want to do that, but I don't. I don't have mechanical answers for you, but I do have some insight. Because even with gardening, you need to say, well, the soil has to be right. You need to make sure there's enough water. You need to make sure it's in sunshine. You need to pull up the weeds around it. There are some things you can think about. And here are the things I want to think about. The question, what if I don't delight in God's word? Number one, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Here's what the gospel says. The God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever so believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, God's crazy about you. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And if you would say, I believe God's word, I study God's word, I know God's word, I listen to it, but I don't delight in it. You know what the God of the universe looks at you? He goes, I love you anyway. God loves you so much. Guilt, shame will never cause you to delight in God's word. It is the gospel that lifts guilt and shame from us. Number one, remember the gospel. Number two, read the Bible anyway. You want to know one of the most powerful things you can do against Satan? He's tempting you. He's discouraging you. You feel dead. You feel out of it. You feel like you have no connection to God and you obey anyway. He's useless against that. You just decide you're going to keep reading. You just decide you're going to keep going at it. Yes, it feels stale. Yes, it feels like you're checking a box. Yes, it feels like you're not getting anything out of it. But if it's true that God's word never returns void, it is possible that God is not wasting anything, but he's storing something up for you inside of you as he fills you with the spirit and his word. Keep reading the Bible. Number three, I want you to repent of any secret sin. I really do believe that secret sin, that kind of besetting sin in our life will rob from us, not our salvation, that's secure in Jesus, but it will rob from us our joy. It will rob from us our delight in God and his word. If there's secret sin in your life, I'm telling you, confess it, 
repent of it. I'm not saying if you sin, you can't enjoy God's word. I'm saying that if you are harboring secret sin in your life, it will rob your affection for God and for his word. Number four, recommit to obedience. So like turning and repenting from sin is turning from the bad things in our life. But obedience is often walking in the good things of our life. And I found that for far too many people, what's actually holding them back from delighting in the word of God is that they know all the things the Bible has to say about a topic, they're just not doing it. So they know the Bible calls them to be generous, but they keep all their money for themselves. They know the Bible calls them to forgive people who have wounded them, but when people wound them, they don't forgive, they hold grudges. They know the Bible calls them to be in community and carry one another's burdens and be close with people and actually share the load with others, but they keep to themselves. See, if you don't commit to obedience, you won't actually understand the word. And if you don't understand the word, you will not delight in the word. Recommit to obedience. Number five, reach out to others. I so believe in a quiet time discipline where you know and study and consider the word of God by yourself. But sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is get together with people, whether it's a formal Bible study or you just going to a coffee shop and reading the Bible out loud with each other. There is a power in doing it in community. And then here's number six, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Let me tell you, as a preacher, I looked and I looked and I worked and I worked to try to find an R for that and could not for the life of me find one. But you know what it was? I kind of even wrote like request God, but request isn't enough. If you are feeling dry in your spiritual walk right now, scream out to God. Fall on your face before him. Get on your knees before your bed tonight and say, God, I don't delight in your word. I'm cold, I'm distant. I don't have this delight. I don't have this love for you. And God, I want to have that so deeply. I want this joy of your salvation. I want to delight in your word. Here's a prayer you might pray before the Lord. If you are far from him and feel like your Bible reading is dry, Psalm 119, 103, it says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What a prayer. If your Bible reading has been dry, you feel far from God, cry out to God and say, God, I want your word to be sweet like honey. I wanna taste it and it's like candy in my mouth. It's like the best thing possible. God, I wanna taste it and want more and more and more. That's the invitation for you. And let me tell you once again, this is not a mechanical process. This is not a two-step thing, five-step thing. If you just do this, you'll love the word. But it is what God has called us to do to stir up that love for his word in my life. Here's how the scripture ends tonight, verse 16. He says, I will not neglect your word. And from time to time, I've thought like, what a cool way, like what a cool sentence to have written on your tombstone. Like at some day your life ends and they go, hey, whatever was true about her, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, she did not neglect the word of God. That the God of the universe has spoken. He has something to say. And that woman, that man listened to the God of the universe and paid attention to what God has to say. Notice it says, I will not neglect your word. This is the simple observation of tonight that the Bible is the word of God. It's the word of God. In other words, the Bible is what God has to say. And this claim, this passion that we have here at Calvary that we would delight in the word, this claim and this passion that I will not neglect your word is because God has something to say and he said it to you through his word. Church, this is the invitation for us. The invitation is to listen to a God who speaks. He has something to say. And all of us listen to people when they speak, when we want to know what they have to say. Like, I wanna put it this way. I wanna give you an example to close out our evening. Um, ladies, I love you. Can I pick on you for a second? 
Would that be okay? Cool, cool. Much love, much love to all you ladies. Um, ladies, I want you to imagine um, you're single, and I know that's not all of you, but, but some of you single here at YA, and you show up, and you're here at Young Adults one night on a Thursday night, and you meet a guy, and he is super cute, okay? Uh, there's plenty of handsome young men here, and he's cute, and you like it, and not like creepy, like, he, like you're into this guy, okay? And you're so into him that, in fact, sometimes you've positioned yourself so that during mingle time, you can turn around and be like, hey, you know, that type of thing, right? And, and like, if you've never used that strategy. I'm just, I'm giving that to you for free. Okay. And then the next week you're more bold. You actually figure out kind of how people are filing in and you slip in and then you end up sitting next to him. And then you talk to him later at night and and you guys keep talking. And so you're kind of around each other and it's kind of like an every Thursday crush you have going on and it's exciting and it's wonderful. And you've got butterflies and you're thinking about Thursday and you're showing up to Thursday and you're excited about it. And then one night you exchange numbers. And you're so excited about this. And so you, you head home and you're talking to all your roommates about it and you're analyzing every part of his life because that's what you do. Um, and you're thinking about it and you're analyzing it. And then you're hanging out with all the girls in the room and you get a text message from him. And you open up your phone and it's a multi-pager. It just keeps going and going and going. Him just expressing his affection for you, how much he's enjoyed getting to know you, how much he's enjoying the pursuit of you. And he really thinks highly of you. And he really thinks that you might be the type of woman that he wants to pursue with his life. And it's going and it's going and it's going and it's going. There's not one of you who would look at it and go, this is so long, I do not have the time nor the inclination to read this. (laughs) Ladies, every single one of you would pick that up and then you would read it. And not only would you read it, you would look at every woman in that room and be like, you guys want to hear it? And then you would share it. And then you would spend the next hour and a half picking apart every participle, every comma, every period, every punctuation mark. You would talk about it. You would think about it. You would consider it. And you would leave that place feeling better for it. Why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And here's the reason. Because the words matter to me when the person who sent it matters to me. We pick it apart, we think about it, we delight in it, we care about it because the person who sent it matters. If I said to you ladies, why do you care about that text message? It's just pixels on a screen made by some phone company in Silicon Valley. It doesn't even matter, they're not real, they're just pixels. You would be like, no, 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 it's not the pixels. It's the person who sent it to me. And if they have something to say to me, I want to listen to what that something is. If they have something to say to me, I want to know what that is. Church, that's what we do with God. The reason we read his word, the reason we think about his word, the reason we study his word, the reason we delight in his word is because God's people delight in God's word because God's people delight in God. That's the invitation for us. The invitation is that God has written something for us. He has something to say. And that same God extends it to us. And he says, think about this, read this, consider it, memorize it, share it with others, talk about it, be the type of person who learns this and you will delight in his word. And the reason you'll delight in his word is because ultimately you will come to delight in God. We are not interested in being a church that just knows Bible things for the sake of knowing Bible things. We are interested in being a church that delights in God's word because we wanna be a church that delights in God himself. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on up. We're going to pray and we're going to close out tonight. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight and thank you for your word. And thank you that we are a people who delight in your word. Father, for anyone in this room who does not delight in your word, they're not even sure where that went wrong or maybe they want to delight in your word, but they just feel cold and dry. God, I just feel you would just ask that you would rekindle a love and affection for your word like never before. God, help them to confess their sin and double down on the word, help them to cry out to you. God, I thank you for the men and women who know and love your word, who delight in your word. I pray that they would continue to have a deep affection for your word because they have a deep affection for you. And the Father, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know your word, who doesn't know your Bible, 
and ultimately who doesn't know you, that they would become a people who know the joy of God because they experience the love of God. And so God, I pray for all of us in this room that your word, what you have to say, would not just be a book filled with information, but would be something we know is from your very lips to our very hearts. God, may we be a people who delight in the word of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvoye underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.